Father, thank you again for tonight. Thank you for the privilege to gather, to be under your word, and to sing together, and to give of what you have given to us. Father, thank you that we have clarity in your word. Thank you that we are not left in the dark as to who you are or how life works in your world that you've created. We thank you that you've made a way for the most broken, the most hopeless, the most destitute to come to you, Jesus. Pray that he would be glorified and he would rise in our affections and would he grow bigger in our eyesight as he really is. May he be seen by us. Help us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to talk tonight about drilling deep. And the idea of drilling deep is the idea that we want to be planted in the city of Pittsburgh for the city of Pittsburgh. So each of you are either from the city, zip code-wise, or you're a suburb of the city or a local borough of the city. And our goal is for you to see your city, your zip code, your neighbors, your street, your co-workers, you know, your, your business clients who you pick up. I know many of you are drivers. This is your mission field, friends. And we have a mission. Jesus did not leave us without something to do. Jesus did not leave us without a commission, a co-mission, a together mission. Now we, as a church, have decided that we would focus simply on four core commitments. Okay? Our mission as Eternal City Church is to multiply passionate love for Jesus Christ and those made in His image. It's very simple. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We say Jesus Christ because we want to be very specific to outsiders looking in about who we mean by God. We don't want you to fill God in with whoever you think God is. We believe in the scriptures that God is revealed in Jesus Christ, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, uh, if you don't have the Father, you don't have me either. So Jesus minus the Trinity, we don't have God. You can't have the Father without having the Son. And so to multiply means to exponentially grow. So 4 plus 4 is 8, but 4 times 4 is 16. 16 plus 16 is 32, but 16 times 16 is... Who's a math wizard? A lot. Good answer. It's a lot. It's a lot more than 32. (laughs) I don't know it either. And we want to see your passion, guys, your like life force. I know that's a, a terrible word to use because it's mystical, but your, your essence, your being, your heart to grow in love for Jesus Christ such that you are changed and transformed. You remember Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, you've heard it before. I'll say it again. The loving of Jesus causes the keeping of commands. The keeping of commands doesn't cause the loving of Jesus. Listen again. If you love me, then you will 
keep my commands. Our, if you will, mission assignment as individual Christians is to grow in your affection and love for Jesus. As your affection and love for Jesus grows, your desire to keep his commands will grow because you won't want to hurt him. You won't want to go against him. You won't want to see his face frown, if you will. Your love for Christ will inspire the keeping of his commands. We as a church are committed to these four things. It's been since day one. It hasn't changed, and I don't see it changing. We're going to make disciple-making disciples. We're seeking to unify peoples. The four C's would be cultures, classes, colors, and capacities. So cultures, there's many cultures even represented in this room. Some of us actually have farm animals at our house and you buy feed from the feed store and that's, that's your life. And then some of us uh, produce hip-hop albums. It's a real thing. And we're in the same church and we love each other and we've been to each other's houses and had meals together and fellowship and that's unifying cultures if I've ever seen it. What about classes? Well, some of us probably have a couple more digits at at tax time to report than others. Maybe some of us are six-figure. Maybe some of us are five. Maybe some of us are four. And some of us are like, man, if I could just get the four, that would be awesome. But we know that in Christ, our tax statement doesn't divide us. Right? Like, the poorest among us are valuable because they're made in God's image And even more importantly, if you're in Christ, that flies over any economic status. What about colors? Well, ethnicities cannot be our primary identity. In a a country that is, I think, satanically fueling all media outlets with division, 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 we, as the church of Jesus Christ, need to say, enough of the garbage, we're living life together, we're in this together, and even if we don't agree on every single little point of politics and culture and what's going on, we're going to love each other with ferociousness. We're not going to run from our disagreements, we're going to run to each other in our disagreements. Amen? Yeah, we're going to unify ethnicities. It's not going to make us run from each other and gather those like us and look like us and think like us. Now we're, we're a crew and now we're against you. No, we're going to gather everybody who doesn't look like us, who doesn't think like us, and we're going to surround ourselves with them so that we might get some of our rough edges rounded off. Because if you don't think you have rough edges, stick around. Just stay for a couple months, okay? And, and you'll see. Capacities. This is your, your gifts, your talents, your skills. Some of us have high capacities. Some of us can do a lot of things well. Some of us can do one thing kind of well. But you know what? Your capacities do not make you more valuable than the other person. If you stepped on the basketball court with me, you'd walk away sad. I'm just playing. I'd walk away sad. Okay? Six foot four, six foot five, can't dunk. You'd be like, this dude. Wow. But you know what? If you're a baller, I don't feel inferior to you because my Identity is not all wrapped up in my basketball capacity. Okay, that's one illustration. Times it by whatever gift, talent, skill you have. And remember, listen, when you compare your strengths to someone else's weakness, guess who gets the win every time? 
Don't do it. You're setting yourself up for pride. Okay, train and challenge men to lead sacrificially. We, we are not uh, seeking patriarchalness here. We are not seeking male chauvinistic people here. We're not trying to create a culture of women are oppressed. We are trying to create a culture where women and children flourish and grow because the men are dying by living for the women and children. And that's what we mean by train and challenge men. Now, that doesn't mean we won't train and challenge the women. We desperately, desperately need women leaders. Oh, my gosh. Listen, I cannot meet with all the ladies in the church. Even if I wanted to, like, I just can't physically do it. We need ladies who are gospel-centered, who are deeply biblical, and who cannot get so upset when someone's freaking out in your presence. And you can make the room temperature drop and speak the gospel into that situation. Ladies, we want to train you as well in gospel depth and in biblical rootedness so that you can make disciples who make disciples. But brothers, listen, we are the bigger in physicalness almost always. We are the ones who like to think highly of ourselves. We are the ones who like to push the ladies around. We are the ones who like to use words to push the ladies around. And in the church of Jesus Christ, especially this church, it shall not be so. Amen? And we're going to help train and challenge you to come off of that. Come up out of that. Okay? If you're there, we don't want you to leave the church. We just want you to take a step out and then take another step out and keep taking a step out till that's not you anymore. And we want to walk with you and we want to train you how to love your wife and children and those around you by sacrificially dying for them. Okay. We're going to plant church planting churches. As men are raised up, as leaders are raised up, we want to see them sent out. And so we want to train. We want to be a training church. From day one, we said we want to be kind of like a UPMC hospital. UPMC hospitals, if you've been in the room at Children's, you know that there's one doctor and like seven residents. And they all got their clipboards and they're all taking notes. And that's kind of what we want to be as a church. We want to say, come along, get trained, get apprenticed, grow with us. What we don't want is one or two people doing the ministry for the many. We want one or two, preferably 20, training the many for ministry. But listen, you guys got to step it up so that you can train people. Okay? So if you're willing to be trained, we want you to be a trainer, a discipler. And next week, more on global church planting. Okay, that's next week. Disciple making disciples. Quickly, Jesus ascends from the grave. And he is about to ascend back to his Father in heaven. And he gives this instructions to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, 6 to 8. So when they had come together, the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Oh, that you would take over the world, Jesus. Now we want it too. They just thought it was then and about to go down. Jesus is going to take over, and we're right behind him. Swords and horses and all. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. That's up to God. But you, in contrast, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
What will the result of the Holy Spirit coming into your life and into these disciples' lives look like? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The result of the Holy Spirit coming into your life in a profound way is you will be a witness. Now, some of you read into that. That means I got to be out in the street with tracks and like grabbing people and cornering them and saying, hey, give me five minutes and... It could be that, but that is a very small, small, small way of thinking about witnessing. Because when you go to work, you're being a witness. When you are at home watching TV, you're being a witness because people are witnessing you. Like when you post something on your social media, you're being a witness. People are witnessing you. Your whole life is a witness and people are watching. And what are you saying with your life, friends? Are you saying Jesus is Lord? Are you saying Jesus is Lord about 5% of the time? Friends, we need to move out of this space where Jesus is Lord for two hours on Sunday. We need to move into the space where I wake up at 5.30 a.m. and Jesus is on my mind. And throughout the day, Jesus is on my mind. And you remember that famous uh, Spurgeon quote? He said, I never pray for more than five minutes, but I never go more than five minutes without praying. Can we be those people? Can we be those people? You will, not might, not should, will. You will be my witnesses. You see that? You're a witness. Are you a good one or a bad one? That's the question. You already are one. Think to yourself, am I a good witness for Christ and his kingdom, or am I a bad witness for Christ and his kingdom? Friends, listen, I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm here to say we want to get you out of the bad witness category and into the good one. That's our goal. That's our mission. We want to see you become good witnesses for Christ. So you think about your social media account. When you post something, you're like, all right, who's going to see this? What are they going to think about Jesus? Not who's going to, think that, who's going to see this and what are they going to think about me? We want you to think Jesus first, God first, and not what's this going to say about me? What's this going to say about he? That's where we want to get you. Because listen, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And as Eddie said, I'm going to make it famous, out of the heart, the mouth tweets. It's true. It's true. Matthew 28, 8 to 20, famous passage. And Jesus came and said to them, this is again, before he ascends into heaven, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's encouraging. All authority over all places, in all times, in all regions of the globe, in all the galaxies. Yes. All authority goes to King Jesus, the ruler of the universe. So what does he say in response to saying, hey guys, all authority, mine. He says, go, therefore, because I have all authority, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Very quickly, to make disciples looks like this. In the text, it tells us exactly what making a disciple is and what a disciple is. What is it? It's baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's a physical, more Baptistic than Pado. So you go under the water, 
and you come out of the water. But listen, that's just a picture. That's a symbol that you have died with Christ spiritually. You have been buried with Christ spiritually. And you have been raised from the dead spiritually now to live in newness of life with Jesus. That's your baptism. Spiritual is the top priority. The water baptism just symbolizes what has happened to you already spiritually. Okay, Romans 6, Colossians 3. Talks about spiritual baptism super duper clearly in those terms. But listen, there's a new identity connected to your spiritual baptism. You defined you previously, but now who are you defined by? In the name of Father. You have a new Father. Like, I know fatherlessness and terrible fathers are rampant in our culture, and I'm sure that all of you have a terrible father story. More than one of you. And we could go on for hours. And that doesn't help you in your Christian walk, does it? No, it doesn't. It hinders you in your Christian walk. But guess what? You have a new father who loves you and who said, I will never leave you or forsake you and is committed to getting you to him perfect. He's committed. Even if you're not, he's committed. That's fantastic. So we want to look to our heavenly father for stability and security and identity, not our earthly fathers. Yes? Because if you're in Christ, you have a new father. What about the son? Well, listen, everything that's true of Jesus is now true of you if you're in Christ. Yeah, you're unrighteous. Yeah, you're a scumbag. Yeah, you're a failure. But Jesus isn't. I was speaking with a woman last night, and uh, in tears, she said to me, what about my years of rebellion?" And I I could look her straight in the face because she professes Jesus as Savior. And I could say, Jesus was not rebellious in your place. And you're in him. Therefore, in Christ, you were not rebellious. And just tears. You just see the, the guilt and the shame just releasing. Friends, you have that same gospel. You get to tell people that. That if you're in Christ, no shame. Why? Because there is no shame in Christ. No guilt. Why? Because there is no guilt in Christ. Purity in Christ. Victory in Christ. Okay? Whatever's true of Jesus is now true of you. The Father looks at Jesus at the baptism and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. He looks at you and he looks at me, the Father, and says, This is my beloved Son and daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Not because of you but because of Jesus. And listen, if it was because of you, we'd all be hopeless, right? Like, if we were trying to hear from Father, well done, good and faithful servant, by our performance, we'd never hear it. But right now, in your mess, you can hear it. Right now. You have a new identity in Christ. And what about the Spirit? Baptizing them in the name of the Holy Spirit. That means you have a new power source to live. Yeah, you can't live this life on your own. Yeah, you can't do it. Yeah, you're going to epically fail. Yeah, you're going to fall on your face. But you know what? The Holy Spirit will give you power to live the commands of Jesus. Augustine had it right when he prayed in his confessions. Command what you will, but grant what you command. Command me to do whatever you want me to do, God, but give me the power to do it. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. We have a new power 
And then, so not just baptizing, it's also teaching people they have a new identity if they're in Christ. They're now defined by God and not defined by them. That's part of making a disciple. But also teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And we talked about this already, didn't we? Love for Jesus inspires the keeping of his commands. So we are no longer the Lord of our lives. We are no longer the ruler and authority of us. If we're in Christ, he is the Lord, he is the ruler, he has all authority, not us anymore. And when we love him, we will want to, that's the key, want to keep his commands. I can remember talking to a man who was a, an addict, those were my people, they kind of still are my people, and I remember him saying he deserved to buy this thing he wanted. Why? He said, because I'm no longer doing the things I really want to do. This is his words, meaning drink, smoke weed, you know, go blow a ton of money. I'm not doing all those things that I really want to do. Why? Because I'm a Christian now. So therefore, I deserve to go and do this thing I want to do. But you know what? That's not Christianity at all. Because Christianity, God changes your heart in such a way that the things you once loved, the darkness, are now the things that you hate. And it's not that they don't come back to haunt you. They do, don't they? Anyone get haunted at night? Middle of the night? Middle of the day? Surfing the internet? Yeah, and what do we do? We fight. We strive. We struggle. War. That's the language of the Christian life. You know that, right? Like nowhere in the Bible are we told, lay back and be at ease. Take a nap and grab a fleece blanket and I will make you fishers of men. No, it's fight. The Spirit wars against your flesh. Fight the good fight, Paul tells Timothy. It's war language. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. So are you surprised that the Christian life is hard? If you are, maybe you're just not reading your Bible enough. I love you. It's just maybe you don't have a view of Christianity that's biblical. And we want to get you there. Like, we want to get you out of this non-biblical idea of what Christianity is into the biblical idea of what Christianity is so that when the trials and the troubles and the tribulations and the temptations and the failures come at you, you're like, this is the Christian life. Because it is. It is. It's not an easygoing sip of a latte, though, oh, I wish it was. It's fight, it's struggle, it's wrestle, it's disappointment, it's tears. But it's awesome. And we're promised that one day, all the sadness will be banished. And we will receive the kingdom. So, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And and listen to this. The disciple is one who is obeying commands. Well, teaching them to observe all I've commanded is also a command. So if you're obeying all Jesus' commands, you're also making disciples. You see it? What's a disciple? Teaching them to obey all I've commanded. What did he just command? Go make disciples. So you're not really obeying Jesus' commands unless you yourself are actively making disciples. I love Mark Dever's definition of disciple. He says it's doing intentional spiritual good to someone that they might be conformed more to the image of Christ. So simple. Doing intentional, spiritual good to someone that they might become more conformed to the image of Christ. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded. And here's the promise, I'm with you. He doesn't say, I'll watch you. I'll take notes of what you're doing. I'll I'll keep a good log 
No, he says, I am with you when? Always. Where? To the end of the earth and to the end of the age. That's the promise, friends. You see, there is great promises in the scriptures like your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. That means wherever you go, guess who goes with you? The Holy Spirit. Now that's kind of scary because you go to some dark places, don't you? And you take God with you. But you go to some dark places in a scary sense and guess what? God is with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're going to make disciple-making disciples. Here is some goals for 2018. We want to create some discipleship paths or tracks to walk on. So like paths are, you know, you're walking through the woods. At least when I was a kid, I was in the woods all the time. And we would create paths with sticks. We would knock down the, the weeds and we would trample on them. And we'd come back the next day and trample on them until there was like a dirt path. A, a way through the woods. And we'd build cabins and trees. And oh, if I could go back to my childhood. And now I'm stressed out. Oh well. (laughs) Creating discipleship paths or tracks. So on a track, you drive, and usually if you're racing, you drive in a lane, and you, or you're on the highway, and you switch lanes to get into the fast track. Well, we want to create different tracks of discipleship for you to drive on. And we want them to be free. So we want to, Take away all barriers for you getting deep into discipleship. Like, free. You take it. And also, we want it to be walked through with a mentor or a facilitator. So we don't want you to just take it on your own. Like, here, take this course. Take this. We've already started building them. Here, take this. No, we want to walk you through it, talk you through it, help you get through it, and help you wrestle through each track. We want it to be uh, creating community and accountability. And that's the way it's going to succeed. So we, here's what we've talked about so far. We're talking about a temptation track. We're talking about a biblical counseling track. We're talking about an apologetics track. We're talking about a doctrine track. We're talking about a, um, all, all kind of tracks. Like we had all these ideas we want to do. Hey, and it'll all be free. All you'll need is access to it on the internet from your phone or your laptop or your desktop. And we want to have these roll out in 2018. And we want all of you to start walking through them. We want the local church to be the place where men and women are trained. And we want that to grow and increase. We want the local church to be the hub where you go to get biblical counseling. And how are we going to do that if there's only one guy who does all the counseling? Well, we're not going to do that. You need to get trained to do biblical counseling. You need to get trained to do uh, apologetics. You need to get equipped. Ephesians 4. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers for what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I would fall under the teacher-shepherd category, and my job is to equip you, the saints, for the work of ministry. Who does the work of ministry? You do. What's my job? My work of ministry is to equip you to do the work of ministry. It's just a different kind of, of work. It's an equipping work. Right now, sadly... I do most all the work and all the equipping. And I'm not saying that to glorify myself. I'm just telling you I'm getting tired. I need you guys to help. Please. And I know some of you are like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Well, that's why we're doing this. So you can get helped and equipped. Okay, what else do we want to do? We want to let the word work in community. So we have a great high respect for God's word. 
We believe that it is powerful and effective. We believe that it does the work. We believe that if we're trusting in the word, that the word will do the transforming power. So let's look at a couple texts. Matthew 13, 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and some thirty. This is the end of the parable of the soils. You remember, there's hard ground, there's stony ground, and then there's thorny, weedy ground. And the word is the gospel. It's the word of God. And the sower is the one who is seeking to make disciples. But listen, if there's good ground, do you see this? A hundredfold fruit. That is incredible. A hundredfold from one seed? Even if we could get 60-fold or even 30, oh my gosh, what could happen? We could see exponential growth in discipleship if God would be pleased to let good seed fall on your good ground. Coming down a few verses to Matthew 13, 23. As for what was sown, this is Jesus explaining the parable. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one, the person, who hears the word, so you got to hear it, understands it, you got to understand it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So there has to be verbal teaching of the scriptures. And there has to be understanding. And then we beg the Holy Spirit to help us apply it and live it out. John 15, without me, you can do nothing. Hebrews 4.12, famous verse. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. What does it do? It pierces to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Soul and spirit, that's the immaterial part of you. Bone and marrow, that's the physical part of you. It's Hebrew parallelism. It's saying the same thing using two different words that mean the same thing. And what does it do? It discerns your thoughts. It reads your mail. It discerns your intentions. It exposes your motivations, even to you. How many of you have been sitting under teaching, either in a church service or with earphones in or reading a book, and all of a sudden your intentions are alive to you and you never saw them before? That's what the Word of God does. You see, oh my gosh, I was doing this for this all along. Like some of you have come to me and said, you were talking to me. And yes, I was, but no, I wasn't. The Word was talking to you. And it was piercing deep into you to change you. The heart is the motivating factor. It's the essence of you. It's your core. And it goes right into the heart, the Word. We want the Word to do the work. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. And we also thank God constantly that can be translated without ceasing for this what are they thanking God for that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word from men that could mean men and women but listen what it really is the word of God which is at work which is at work in you believers you see the word is at work it's not just words that fall dead on a page. It's not like reading Harry Potter, though I'm not hating if you read Harry Potter. But Harry Potter is not going to drastically change your life. 
It's not going to pierce through to your thoughts and intents of your heart. Can it reveal to you truth? Yeah. I mean, it can. It can show you things you didn't see before. But listen, the Word of God is a book that God wrote, and the Holy Spirit moves when the Word is, is taught and understood. He works through the Word. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. What's the power of God? The gospel. You're not the power of God. I'm not the power of God. No human agent is the power of God. The gospel, the word, is the power. Friends, we got to stop thinking of ourselves so highly. It's the word of God. Christ, the gospel, that is the power, not us. We're vessels. We are communicators. We are messengers. The power is in the gospel, and the Holy Spirit moves through the power of the gospel for salvation. That means to save from hell, to save from God's wrath, to cleanse you of your sin, to rescue you from God himself. You remember when Moses wanted to see God's glory in Exodus? He said, show me your glory. And God said, I'll, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll put my hand over you, whatever kind of hand God has. He put it over Moses. And then I'm going to pass by you and I'm going to let you see my like, back. I'm going to let you see my trails. You know, like a comet will shoot across the sky and you just see the trail or a jet goes across the, the sky and you see the trail. Well, that's what God's going to do. He's going to... But you remember what God said to Moses at first request? Man, if you saw me you would disintegrate into a puddle of atoms, Moses. And so Tim Keller points out, he says, this is a picture of God saving Moses from God. This is the gospel. Friends, the power of God is for salvation. For who? For everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. If they believe, they're saved. It's the good news. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the Jews were receiving the word first. They were the, the first church, if you will. And Paul always went to the Jew first. He found a synagogue. That was his context. He spoke to them from the Psalms, from the prophets. He tried to explain. And when they rejected, he said, okay, I'm going to the Gentiles. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Or you could translate that beginning and ending in faith. Righteousness of God is revealed, not your righteousness, but his righteousness. You see, righteousness is the problem. We have no righteousness, therefore we're in big trouble because righteousness is demanded. But the good news is the righteousness is a gift from God. Look, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is trust. You could translate it, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Whose righteousness? Paul tells us later, it's Jesus' righteousness given to you as a gift. It's called imputation. It means the credit and place of another. And so the gospel is not, you must become righteous and you shall live. The gospel is, you are unrighteous, Jesus is righteous, you have faith in him, he gives you his righteousness, and you live. It's good news. It's not on you, it's not on me. It's good news. This is a, a nice little depiction of Psalm 19.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friends, without the revelation of God, we are walking blindly in God's world 
not God's way. Friends, listen, I don't know if you understand how valuable the 66 books are of the Bible, but they're like the instruction manual to reality. If God made the world, which we confess as Christians, and he made DNA and atoms and you know, aardvarks, antelopes, and anteaters, if he made all of that, and he says, if you live like this, it's going to go well, and if you don't live like this, it's not going to go well, and you say, middle finger... That's like saying to my, in a very less dangerous way, that's like saying to the maker of my Nissan Murano, when it says, you know, five quarts of oil at the oil change, I don't care. I want to put a half a quart in. That oil is expensive. And Nissan goes, go for it. What's going to happen to my car? It's going to self-destruct, and it's my fault, isn't it? And Nissan's going, we're not giving you a warranty. We put it clearly in the owner's manual. You put out half a quart of oil in and tried to run it. That's not on us, that's on you. And I wonder if God would just say the same thing to some of us. Like you had to have it your way, right? And I'm not condemning you. I'm saying, if you're wondering why, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe you're not living according to the owner's manual of reality. Listen, I, I've walked that path for way too many years, I experienced way too much destruction, and I'm still reaping the consequences, friends. Terrible dreams, wake up in the middle of the night having to fight temptation and sin, having to battle thoughts, it's all inside of me. It's consequences of living, opposing God's word. He built me to work a certain way, I said middle finger, I'll live my way, and then the consequences just don't go away when you're a Christian. And I know I'm being harsh, but I'm, I'm trying to wake some of you up. It's like, it's like you're passed out, you're, you're choking in your vomit, and here comes the ice water, and it's in love. Wake up. Okay, I love you. I do, I really do. If, if I was trying to tickle your ears, do you think I'd be saying this? Like, I'd be having you happy and encouraged and thinking money's coming your way tomorrow in the mail. You're going to get one of those glorious chain email letters and you just have to click send it to five friends and all of a sudden you're going to be a billionaire. But that's garbage, isn't it? Okay. Psalm 1, 1 to 6. Quickly, blessed. That means happy, by the way. It's the same kind of word in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. It literally means happy. You want to be happy? I do. I love that Pharrell song. Like, I want that to be my life. And here, God's saying to you in the first song, you want that? Here it is. Happy, blessed is the man who what? Walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, so walks is uh, one level, nor stands in the way of sinners. That's level two nor sits, now you're hanging with them, you're participating in their activities, you're in with them, the seat of scoffers. And we have levels of sinners here, wicked, sinners, scoffers. But, here's the contrast, verse 2, his delight, this person who is happy, is in the law of the Lord. That's the word of God. His, his revealed will. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Day and night. Mm -mm. You guys remember that? 2009, Kate Cuddy? No? All right. 
It's a really honest song if you listen to it. Seriously, he's, he's bearing his soul in that song. It's madness to magnet keeps attracting me. That's a great line. He's saying, I'm going crazy. All I can do to, to silence the crazy is smoke some weed. That's honesty. Pray for his soul. It's sad. Maybe he'll become a Christian. So his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Meditation is to mull it over. It's to think about it. It's to let it bounce around in your head. It's to not read over it, and that's it. Like, yeah, I read a chapter of the Bible today. What did it say? Mm. That's not meditating. Meditating is, like, I'll, I'll confess that I have a real hard time reading and not digesting. So it takes me hours and hours and hours to like read a chapter because I'm like highlighting and then reading it again and highlighting and reading it again. And I feel like I've wasted my time if I just spend 20 minutes reading a chapter and then I have no idea what I just read. So better to take your time, even if it's a couple hours, and understand what you just read and maybe think about it, take some notes, visit it again. How much better than that than to say, I got through 17 books this year. What was in them? Nothing that I can remember. You just wasted 17 books, and how long did that take you? Friends, it's so much better to digest small amounts and really get it than to digest large amounts and have no idea what you heard, read, or ingested. Are we there? Yeah, so on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like, and, that, and this is what you'll be like. Now remember, this is an arid desert climate that this is being written in. I mean, this is not Pittsburgh where it's raining seven out of ten days. We have too much water. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. You see, if, if it's raining all the time, it doesn't matter if it's by a stream. But in the desert, to have a stream planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And if you're, listen, if you're ready to give up after six months or a year or two years, friends, wait. It's not your season yet, okay? And, and I'm not talking about your breakthroughs coming. It's not what I'm talking about season. I'm talking about you bearing spiritual fruit. Are you willing to wait and not give up after a week? Like, this is too hard. It's been a week. Yeah, it's hard, but it's been a week. Like, wait. Wait for the season. In its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. Here's the contrast. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. You remember Gideon's in the threshing floor and he's threshing wheat. He's inside and there's no wind, which is so weird because you kind of need wind to blow away the chaff. From the grain. So you would take a pitchfork and you would take the grain, you throw it up in the air, and it would loosen the grain kernels from the chaff, and the wind would take the chaff away, and the heavy parts of the grain would fall. Are you going to be swept away by the wind like chaff? Just blown around? No order to life, no solidness, no rootedness by streams of water, no fruit. Friends, is your life more like chaff or is it more like a tree? by a stream bearing fruit, season after season after season after season. 
You remember when Jesus was approached by the disciples in John chapter 4. And they're like, eat, Rabbi, eat. He had just talked to the woman at the well. She had just bounced to tell everybody, come meet a man that told me everything I've done. And he says, look, the fields are white for harvest. This is my food to do the will of him who sent me. You see, Jesus is saying, look, look out at the fields of the world. They are white or ripe for harvest. Do you believe that? Listen, fruit is seen in your growth and in the people you're bringing along with you. Do you believe that? How are you doing and who are you bringing along with you? That's fruit. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about even when the storm is raging on the house of your life and the windows are being blown in, you're still standing and you're solid. That's fruit. That's fruit. When all four tires are busted down, you're amazingly still driving on the highway. That's fruit. And I've actually seen that happen, and it's sparky, and it's weird. And you're like, get away from them. But listen, that's fruit. If all your tires are broken and you're still driving, that's fruit. A random check for $1,000 coming to you in the mail? I don't know. That's what we want. I mean, I'd do a backflip if I got that in the mail, but I'm not sure that's fruit. I don't think that's what this is talking about. But we're like, that's the fruit I want. Oh, God, please. Well, that's a very small view of fruit. Small. It's temporary. It's transient. It's going to be gone. Okay. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. So now we're going judgment. So the wicked people... They live for a small amount of time. They enjoy their sin for a season. Judgment comes, and they're not going to stand. They're not going to stand. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Congregation means a group of people. And remember what we said about righteousness just prior to this? It's not your righteousness. You have none. It's his righteousness gifted to you. But these people reject the righteousness of God as a gift. And they choose to live in their own, which isn't any. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, this doesn't mean that he doesn't know the way of the sinner. It means he knows intimately, lovingly, and he's involved in a knowing like Adam knew his wife Eve. And they conceived and bore Cain and Abel. That's the kind of knowing. Known by God intimately, heart-wise, and the picture is marital intimacy. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. They will not flourish. Tim Keller commenting on this psalm from his book, The Songs of Jesus, says this. Psalm 1 is the gateway to the rest of the psalms. The law is all of scripture. To meditate is to think out its implications for all of life. And to delight in it means not merely to comply, but to love what God commands. Christians have their attitude toward God changed from one of duty to free, loving, self-giving because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So to know how to meditate and delight in the Bible is the secret to a relationship with God and to life itself. Views contrary to God's word are no anchor in a time of need. God's word gives us 
the resilience of a tree with a source of living water that will never dry up. That's good stuff. And that's what we want for you. That's why we take massive amounts of time in the Bible every week. Because I know you're probably not getting it throughout the week. I hope you are. But my safe assumption is you're not. And so come get it, please. Okay, three main lanes of discipleship and connectivity. We have our worship gatherings, which is this. We have our gospel-centered communities, which we are going to rework in the new year and hopefully make them better with new leaders and more closer to your community so you guys can begin to reach out and invite but also still be growing in community. And then we have our discipleship pathways or tracks coming in 2018. We also want to start a new outreach and discipleship program. I was just in Texas at Matt Chandler's church a couple weeks ago, and I sat through this um, seminar, and we were told how to start one of these in your own church. And guess what? They reach out to their community in such a way that through their steps and recovering redemption program, 50% of their baptisms come through this. I mean, talk about outreach. 50% of their baptisms as a church comes through their steps and their recovering redemption program. Now, we, we tried early on in the church to start one of these. It wasn't this. It was redemption by Mike Wilkerson. And we gathered a bunch of broken people, and it broke me. Like, I couldn't handle it. It just was too much. And so we're going to need you guys to get equipped, to get trained. Some of us are flying down to Dallas, to Chandler's Church, to get trained to do this in February. We already have a couple people we're thinking about. And if this is something that you're like, uh, yeah, maybe, we need to talk, okay? We need to talk. So we're going to try to do this on a smaller scale, and we want to see it grow. Uh, redemption groups, the glorious reality of the gospel is this. Christ changes everything. Everything is broken, but the gospel is the remedy. You can get the Recovering Redemption book and read it yourself. Um, there's a, a, a series that Chandler did on Recovering Redemption. You can go to tvc.org or TVC Resources. Is that it? TVC Resources and check out the, uh, the Recovering Redemption. You can get a flavor for what we're going to try to do. Discipleship through, through books. We want to start a church bookstore. Actually, it's on the church's donate page. You see a little bookstore tab. There is a massive amount of books that you need to read, but you don't need to read them and say, I have no idea what I just read. So we're actually going to get books that are crunched down into little booklets that are maybe like 30 pages, and there's brilliant gold in these booklets. And we're going to get a ton of them for every, everything from addiction to, you know, internet Addiction, get what I'm saying? Everything will be in there. Abuse, you know, just tons of, that'll be one facet. We have massive amounts of books that we think you need to read and grow from. But listen, we need some initial investment to fire it up, right? Like we could drain the whole church's funds and have an awesome little book table there, but we might not be able to pay rent next month. So... Man, again, back to the fueling the ministry. It's all for your benefit, and it's all for the benefit of those who you are seeking to make disciples. What are we going to do to unify peoples? We're going to use personal relationships and conversations. I think that's the best context. We're talking about an event coming up maybe January, February, doing a panel um, on race and on um, racial reconciliation. So we're working out the details of that. We are looking at starting a podcast and starting a blog that will all be under that heading of Unify Peoples and it will all deal with that specifically. 
Okay? When it comes up in the text, we're going to deal with it. But this will be the main avenue through which the unified peoples will flow. How are we going to train and challenge men to lead sacrificially? We're going to train them. We're going to model it as leaders. And we're going to have personal relationships developed. Now listen, brothers. Brothers, you with me? I can't do this by myself. Like, I come home from work. I usually go to some kind of meeting or some kind of counseling or some kind of training and I go to bed and there's more of you than there is me. Like we need to do this together. Can't be all me, it's gotta be you and me, okay? So are you willing to get trained to train and challenge men to lead sacrificially? Shake your head brothers, please. Thank you, I'll be able to sleep tonight. We wanna plant church planting churches and more on this next week. So we're gonna talk about reaching wide Next week, we have some uh, global opportunities right in front of us. Amazingly, as small as we are and with as little resources as we have, we have some opportunities. So for now, we're going to take communion and we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember, the one in Psalm 1, the one who meditates day and night, who loves the law of the Lord, that's ultimately Jesus. The righteous one who will stand in judgment, that's Jesus. That's not us. And for us, friends, we will stand in the judgment because Jesus was already judged in our place. Isn't that good news? That the judge who will judge the unrighteous stepped into our unrighteousness, was judged in our place, and then gives us his righteousness as a gift. Man, and then we get to go with his spirit and fulfill his mission, which is to make disciples of all nations. You guys excited about making disciples? I am. I'm willing to give my life to that. And I think that there will be eternal reward waiting for all of us who will spend our hours, our days, and our money for his kingdom's expansion. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that, Father, we can be a part of your mission. Your mission of making disciples who make disciples. Father, we want to not just be disciples and be discipled, but we all want to make disciples who then can make disciples. Would you help us in all of our gospel ambitions? May they be your plans and not ours. Father, for if you don't build the house, the builders build in vain. And if the watchmen are watching the city only, the watchmen watch in vain. Father, we need you to build and to plant and to grow. Paul watered, Paul, uh, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but you, Father, made it grow. And so we're relying on you. We thank you for Jesus making all this possible, that we can even come into your presence with favor. We do not look to ourselves in any way, shape, or form. We look away from ourselves. As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... We look away from ourselves to Jesus lifted up on the cross. And as we celebrate his body broken and blood shed for us now, would you help us to remember Jesus as we say thank you. And it's in his name we pray. Everyone said?